During the 40s and 50s, the so-called golden age of musical theater, it was common to hear songs from Broadway shows on the airwaves. These songs were the pop music of the day. Audiences would know a Rodgers and Hammerstein tune before they even stepped foot in the theater, since they were often played on the radio or sung at parties. This, however, is not the case today. The songs of musical theater, while still popular among many, have not become quite as mainstream as the pop music of today. But there are still many iconic songs over the years that have made it onto the pop charts and into the popular consciousness. Songs like Till There Was You from The Music Man, made famous by the Beatles, and My Favorite Things from The Sound of Music, and even One Night in Bangkok from Chess. Certain composers, like Jason Robert Brown and his band, get to play outside of the genre, but not many do. Is it the genre? Is it the writers? Will it ever be the case again that we follow musical theater songs the same way that we listen to pop music? Today on From the Pit, we talk about how iconic pop crossover songs from musical theater work in today's world. We speak with Peter Jorgensen, a director, actor, teacher, and producer of musical theater in Vancouver, about these questions and many more. So let's see what's popular today. From the Pit. I've known Peter Jorgensen for over 20 years. He is a passionate supporter of musical theater in Vancouver and beyond. Peter is a successful performer, educator, and producer. But today, I'm going to talk to him about his director and musical theater aficionado side. This spring, Peter's company, Patrick Street Productions, tackles Sondheim's A Little Night Music. And that's exactly where I wanted to start. For all of Sondheim's success... He's never really had a hit song, except for one, and it's in this show. It's Send in the Clowns. So that's where I wanted to start. First of all, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. Um, we talk about 11 o'clock numbers, but A Little Night Music is unique in which it does have Sondheim's only, well, hit song, I guess you could say. Yeah, A Little Night true. Music. Um, Send in the Clowns. What, what is it that makes Send in the Clowns... A song. I mean, it's rather melancholy tune. It is. It is rather melancholy. Um, it, I, you know, I, I think probably the question would escape even Sondheim as to why uh, why it became such a big a big hit. The show, the song was written quite late in the in the process. I think they were out of out of town tryouts, and uh, and uh, he brought the song in, and um, Glennis Johns, who was playing it said if you give me if you give me cue cards i'll put it in tonight because <laughs> <laughs> awesome. she loved the song uh, the song so much mm. um uh you know i sondheim really is a he's a musical dramatist right so he's not he's never written for um for radio play he's written for character and story and expression and so most of his songs just don't um aren't meant to be listened to they're meant to be watched mm. and i think send in the clowns is um uh probably one of um you know he, f he kind of really hit hit one of his mantras with that was less is more of course he's writing for glennis johns who's wasn't a singer mm. not a singer's singer at all she had a really limited range so he, i think sometimes joked he had to write you know a song that had about a fifth range on, <laughs> or something like that <laughs> i think he's got a bit more 
Um, but uh, that constraint uh, allowed him to craft something uh, of such simplicity. Um, and I think it's a simplicity that, that uh, is really affecting in that, in that song. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's got that, that, of course, the rolling triplets th- through the whole, whole thing. Um, uh, but there's, it doesn't reach for like, it doesn't reach for big dramatic heights as far as like the big notes or the belty notes or whatever. It's just a, uh, a, a really simple straight ahead, direct song that goes right to the heart of the matter of this, this woman who's after all this time finally sees what she wants and it's too late. She's missed her opportunity. And it's, uh, I think, I think the directness of it is what really, what really grabs people and the simplicity of it. There's just no bells or whistles to it at all. Mm-hmm. It seems to speak to multiple people on different levels, that kind of song. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's part of the, the popular success too, right? Is that it's, uh, it's universal. Like yeah. who, who, who hasn't been feeling that at some, some point, you know, ah, uh, I love that person and I missed it. <laughs> I missed it. I missed the door. That's right. Um, and so I think people, I, I'm trying to remember the name of the woman and it's escaping me now. The, the, the one that really blew the song open on the, on the pop charts. Judy I've, Collins. Yes. Judy Collins, Collins. That's yes, it. Yeah. It's right. Ju- it was Judy Collins. And, uh, I've listened to, uh, I watched a recording of her doing it with the Boston pops and it's very affecting. It's, uh, and, and again, like, uh, even her delivery of it as a, you know, as a, in a pop genre, um, is still very, very simple and, uh, and it's glorious. The, this giant audience, uh, cause she's singing with the Boston pops is just riveted by it. Isn't it bliss? Don't you approve? One who keeps tearing around, one who can't move. There ought to be clouds Just when I'd start Opening doors Finally knowing the one that I wanted was yours Making my entrance again with my Why doesn't he have more hit songs? Is, is it because what you were talking about before the dramatization of? The- I think so. Like he, you know, uh, you know, sometimes says he, you know, he can't he can't write a song unless you give him a situation to write about, and so that's that's where that's where he starts. And I, you know, I think that's the thing that I love about him and his craft. I was, I was just, uh, I was at a high school yesterday working with some high school kids and, uh, they asked me like what, what it was that kind of triggered me into doing this kind of professionally. And it, and I said, it was Stephen Sondheim. It was like when I sat down and started, you know, listening to his, his, uh, cast recordings and going and the combination of, uh, how he used music to tell stories. Something about that just clicked with me and it kind of, push, push me into the, into the field. Um, and I think that's why he's so admired by so many people is because he, for, for me, how I explain it is that he's not just crafting compositions musically, he's crafting behavior for the actors. 
And I don't know anybody else who is as articulate as he is. There's lots of people that come come close, you know, Kurt Vile and Richard Rogers, uh, Lesser, um, you know, and in modern days, I think I think Jason Robert Brown has amazing craft, mm-hmm. um, and I think uh, Gettle does am- amazing things. Um, I think Pasek and Paul are getting there actually with their with their craft and and how they do it. Um, but, um, but he's, he's really the cream of the cream of the crop, mm-hmm. but it, it does, it does mean he's creating, you know, he, he realizes he's using music, he's using composition for a dramatic purpose rather than a, where pop or rock is, is purely just kind of a undulterated expression of emotion. Right. <laughs> right. Other iconic songs. We talk about 11 o'clock numbers. I, I'm talking about that a little bit because, it's something we don't have as much anymore in musical yeah. theater. is isn't necessarily 11 o'clock. Well, not every show starts at eight really much. anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, that 11 o'clock number, do you have any favorites? Do you know anything off, off the top uh, of your head? Favorite 11 o'clock numbers? Yes. Or even just iconic numbers from the shows. Well, I, you know, when I think of the first song that always hits my brain when I think of 11 o'clock number is Sit Down, You're Rocking the bro- Boat from uh, from Guys and Dolls. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's such an interesting number in that way of... Uh, uh, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily really help further the plot, you know, no, it's no. sung by nicely, nicely, who's a peripheral character and, uh, but it's absolutely necessary for the musical because it needs yeah. to, it needs to, uh, lift the audience up in that big way for them to have the, uh, uh, energy to see through the resolution of the of the show and it's uh it's just so delightful i mean, i have played sky masters in one production and i've directed a production and um that number in both both productions just like brought so much energy into the into the house and i think that's that's the one of the main purposes of a good 11 o'clock number is to uh, uh give that audience this big jolt of energy that will uh, carry them through to the end of the show. Mm-hmm. That one, that one does it better just, than just about anything else. We will now hear testimony from uh, Brother Nicely Nicely Johnson. Brother Nicely Nicely Johnson. Well, it happened to me kind of funny, uh, like a dream. That's it, a dream. Well, tell us in your own words. I dreamed last night. I got on the boat to heaven. And by some chance I had brought my dice along And there I stood And I hollered, someone saved me But the passengers, they knew right from wrong For the people said, sit down Sit down, you're rocking the boat People said, sit down Sit down, you're rocking the boat And the devil will drag you under By the sharp lapel of your checkered coat Sit down, sit down Sometimes we market shows uh, identi- identifying the hits of the show, right? Depending on what we're doing. Sure. Um, are there any shows you dislike, but you um, you still like the song from the show? Oh, that's a good question. You know, the, the first thing that came to mind, <laughs> came to mind is uh, uh, last five years, right? Um, which I don't think works as a show, 
but I love coaching those songs. Like when people bring them on and I love dissecting those songs, like the, the songs on their own are kind of fantastic pieces for actors to actors to dig into. And they've got such interesting stories, each of them on their, each of them on their own. But I find, I find I have a hard time, like even like just listening to the gas recording all the way through it just be, you know, it's, it's becomes too, too much, Mm. but each song is on its own. I can, you know, almost all of them. I I really, really enjoy. Yeah. So there's a contemporary kind of version of that. You don't have to put the seat down. You don't have to watch the news. You don't have to learn to tango. You don't have to eat prosciutto. You don't have to change a thing. Just stay with me. I want you and you and nothing but you. Miles and piles of you. Something worthwhile to think of each morning You and you and nothing but you No substitution will do Nothing but fresh, undiluted and pure Top of the line And totally so much I appreciate about Jason Robert Brown. Like he, he knows the craft so well and you see it in his writing. When you sit down with a piece, with a, a piece of his in the score in front of you and you look at, at, you look at his directions in there, they're always so spot on. They're so intelligent. And so it's interesting, you know, but, but for some reason he hasn't, whether it's him or his collaborators or what's the alchemy of the whole thing. Right. Mm -hmm. For some reason, he just hasn't found that product that, uh, uh, that sends people over the moon. He hasn't found his Hamilton. (laughs) You know, um, you can't fault his craft. So it's something, it's something about the artistry of it. That that last five years at British of Madison County or parade, you know, there's so much affecting, music in there that that moves people there's no doubt about it but not on a i think not on a universal level right mm-hmm. on an individual level everybody can put, can pull something out of out of there mm-hmm. but you can't fault his craft his craft is his craft is incredible you know one of the things that made him explode was songs for new world because of the sound of it you know and i think mm-hmm. he he self orchestrated that too and he brought you know he brought stuff that wasn't pop rock uh it wasn't that, but it sounded like it. <laughs> right, yeah. And no one had really come close to that, ex- uh, you know, other than Jonathan Larson with Rent. And so I think that was really, really thrilling for people. Because people were like, wow, okay, here's this guy and he's writing musical theater songs, but they sound like, you know, they sound like the stuff I grew up listening to. Right. And that's, um, I think that's an important part of the evolution of musical theater. I think that's why Hamilton is so, so very exciting because it really feels like contemporary music on yeah. stage. And maybe, and, you know, and it's interesting what you're kind of saying at the beginning because uh, Hamilton kept going through my my brain that Lynn manuel Miranda is, you know, bringing kind of uh, musical theater, you know, back into the mainstream with his whole mixtape album and Mm -hmm. getting all these amazing pop artists to cover his tunes and to be in his shows. And, um, so that's, that's pretty cool. It's going to be interesting to see 
if there's a ripple effect to that. Yeah. You know, I was, one of the questions was asking about the Hamilton effect and see what, you know, what's going to happen with it. Um, but I can't imagine you know, like even thinking of Hamilton as, as popular as it is and much as like people respond again to the sound of it and the style of it. I, I don't know if there's anything you could play on the radio. No, except like a cut version of my shot or, you know, or something. But Maybe. I mean, yeah, you're right. And if, you, and if you've obviously listened to the album and I mean, there's over like 40 cuts on, I mean, it's like it's the huge. entire story is yeah. sung. And yeah. so that's good. It's almost like an old Floyd concept album, like Pink Floyd. Like it has this sort of feeling yeah. of like, there's a story there. And I, and I wonder if, you know, maybe that's somewhere that it will move back to. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's certainly, I think where still some of the hits have come from, from those concept album you know the tom who's tommy and you know jesus christ superstar was a concept album and it was you know they never would have become a stage show though if the albums weren't popular right (laughs) totally i think Vita was a concept album too before it was a before it was a show i might be wrong on that but i I have a feeling that was released and um Andrew like Weber needs to do more concept albums. <laughs> no, that's right. Because yeah, they're great shows. I mean. Yeah, right. Get away <laughs> from, from trying to do a legit book musical. My mind is clear now. If you strip away the myth from the man, you will see where we all soon will be. Jesus! You started to believe the things that serve you. So School of Rock uh, uh, seems to be doing well. Uh, it's doing well. We yeah. actually saw it because, uh, yeah. you know, of course, we've got a 10-year-old boy and uh, he loved the movie. So when right. we were, the last time we were in New York, we went to see it. It was his, it was his favorite show for sure. Right. So, And, you know, there's, uh, uh, there's something about seeing, you know, a group of, you know, kids on stage. Matilda has the same effect, you know, right. just, just giving her and singing in their beautiful kid voices and stuff. You know, you can't not be moved by that, (laughs) you know, begrudgingly sometimes you're like, (laughs) um, so, but that also Tim Minchin, actually, there's another interesting composer, right? Cause from a kind of a pop background Mm -hmm. and, uh, but man, his score for Matilda is so cool. (laughs) That's right. I love it. And it's so right for the piece, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like if Roald Dahl was a, was a composer, he, he, it, it'd be Tim Minchin. He just found this like cool expression of that story. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's really cool. And I think, I think that's where the struggle of kind of popular music and musical theater has always, always come. They're just, they're very different beasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and pop, pop music never, you know, it wasn't about necessarily about telling stories it was about relaying experiences and and emotions now some of musical theater does that but pop music in its form and structure can't do the things that musical theater can do Mm -hmm. so i think the best we can do in musical theater 
uh, and it, again, examples of like, you know, uh, um, last five years or Hamilton is make things sound like pop music, yeah, but it can't be, yeah, yeah but it can't be pop music, even rent. Like there's an, like, it's kind of rock, but it's not rock music. It's no. just sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, you mentioned Violet. And I think yeah. that's, again, like an interesting uh, reference. You know, when we're talking about kind of uh, iconic numbers or pop mm -hmm. music and the crossover and all that kind of stuff. Because, again, that score is all influenced by Americana music of the, yes. you know, kind of late 50s or 60s. And, again, like this, I love that score. Um, gospel, bluegrass, like, Beautiful. so, you know, Janine Tesori uses pastiche to such amazing yeah, effect in that. And she is very good at writing pastiche. Oh my God. I mean, well, Charlie Modern Millie is a right? great example. <laughs> I mean, there's very few composers that can do that now yeah. that write that pastiche. Yeah. It's like that. And but again, like it. it's still, but it's not, it's not like, it's it doesn't not, yeah. have the form and structure of that music. No. It has the form and structure of musical theater. Yeah. Um, so you can't, again, there's not really you couldn't pull anything out of violet and play it on the radio either no. maybe maybe on a country station maybe the, the country quartets And Sondheim has always said in his writing, of course, that content, uh, form follows content mm -hmm. all the time. And in, in pop doesn't do that. That's not the other way. That's in right. A, in a way, it's it's the other way. No, because so. people want, like I think in pop, the re one of the reasons it's popular is that it's familiar, right? Right. And so people want that that known structure. They want right. to know, like I hear verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and it's going to the bridge, comes back to the chorus. <laughs> You're right. I'm familiar with it. I can follow that along. I know what to expect. And so it's com comforting. We're theater. We're trying to surprise. We're trying to, you know, take risks and move things along. And so uh, we want to break free from those, those molds. I mean, you know, AABA is still a key part of musical theater structure, which came out of jazz and you know, popular music. And, uh, but, um, uh, but we, we use it, we use it to dramatic effect, not just to, not just for popular effect. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Ham Rogers and Hammerstein managed to do lots of successful songs that, that made it outside the genre. Mm -hmm. And but like I had mentioned in the intro, it has a lot to do with, you know, there, it was sort of the pop music. People would know it as they came out. And they were still so, pre know. rock and roll, right? Like rock That's and roll true. is the pre thing rock that, and roll. that, that really changed changed everything you know there was more there was i think the golden era we were still getting a lot of hits from broadway uh people were buying cast recording like oklahoma was the first ever cast recording to be made and it, full cast recording to be made and you know and it was it was it was huge um so musical theater was still this kind of mainstream art form but then you know as soon as the beatles hit <laughs> america changed everything that's right and, and a lot of musical theaters slipped into 
subtle jazz stuff a lot. Like, well, not subtle, I should say, you know, like Bacharach yeah, started yeah, writing yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah. And so you have those promises, promises, and those interesting. Well, it opened up a, kind of the next, you know, the good things that rock and roll came around and kind of opened up the next experimental phase in musical theater because people were like, oh, okay, well, we're not pop. <laughs> right. <that's> right. <laughs> what right. are we? And then all of a sudden, yeah. you know, and Stephen Sondheim emerges and, uh, you know, and Candor and Ebb emerge and, right. uh, you know, Burt Bacharach tunes, hair come, you know, you know, the invention of kind of rock musicals and Jesus Christ Superstar. And all of a sudden, musical theater is harder to identify now as like you can't kind of put it in a, in a small box anymore. All of a sudden, the umbrella is way, way, way bigger. And, uh, and I think that's interesting today as far as audiences go, because I think even, you know, here we are and we're what, you know, 50, 60 years away now from the, from the golden era of musical theater, but so many of the audience still think of musical theater in that way. They think absolutely it's, you know, it's the King and I, or uh, my fair lady, which are fantastic shows, but we've moved so far beyond those shows as well that's right it takes a while for the culture to catch up i guess you know <laughs> yeah. plus mm -hmm. they made such a mark at their time yeah i guess now we're still living with the remnants of that you know you mentioned earlier about sondheim when you were in new york but what was it that you saw that you said this is the power of musical theater do you remember what that moment was um I would say there wasn't a moment, but there's a, uh, there's certainly a collection of moments. Oddly, the first, <laughs> the first Broadway musical I saw like in New York on Broadway was, uh, was how to succeed in business without really trying, which was right. like fun. I think totally. I was 19 when I saw it and I was, and it was just that sense of like Broadway, you know, again, in that kind of musical comedy jazz hands kind of way. Mm -hmm. It was great production. Um, but it was it was living and studying in New York, and it was seeing shows uh, like Rent was had just kind of exploded when I when I went to New York, um, and you know so I you know that was the beginning of Rush Tickets. I remember sitting in the right. second row after sleeping out uh, on a November night in New York to get Rush seats for twenty bucks, and sitting in the second row and just you know being shattered by that, <laughs> by that experience. Yeah. Uh, I remember sitting, um, uh, watching Ragtime mm. and the end of, uh, end of act one, just, uh, just moving me like, you know, not much else has moved me. Uh, I remember watching Cabaret, the Sam Mendes Cabaret. And again, like the end of act one was such like, there was the the picture that he created the 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 way the story was being told it was just you know kind of sent me sent me over the top so there's a there's a culmination of of things opening of ragtime too i will watch oh. that you know they did it up the uh, they did it for the tony awards the year it was nominated yeah. and uh, graciela danielle's staging of that with the three it's just 
and the you m- know, amount it's of heaven. people, <laughs> everybody swirling, and the amount of people on stage. Yeah, and again, starting out sort of in a, such a simple, just that piano opening. You know, that yeah. right time of piano, the boys like narration, and it grows and it grows, yeah, and, and just, more. Another, you know, you know, the immigrants come on, and the African Americans come on, and. And they all get confused. Like, it's just, it's thrilling. And it's, it's such thrilling. like, that is such the epitome, like, like that opening of Ragtime and the, all of, I think Ragtime was, Ragtime's my favorite kind of Flaherty and Aaron's musical. Um, maybe because mm-hmm. I was there when, you know, in New York when it's all happening, but I still think it's their, you know, their strongest piece, but you look at that and that's, you know, that's, it, it kind of shows you what we should all be aspiring to with musical theater, which is that. Uh, inevitable integration of music and movement and text and uh, dance and uh, design. Like it was all, like it was all there um, uh, into this beautiful uh, artistic synthesis. It was, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. We, you know, there's lots of shows that come close, but it's, that's, it's a rarity. And, but that's, it's those experiences that kind of keep us going and keep us <laughs> like trying to find it again. Right. Yeah. That's great. I mean, ragtime, what a beautiful show. One of the interesting things was I've had a couple of conversations on the program about the Pulitzer prize winning shows. Yeah. And you talk about tackling any uh, musical theater can tackle any subject matter. Exactly. Yeah. And it's interesting to look at the list of shows. It's totally interesting. And uh, they're, they're not what you'd expect. Not what you expect. And they're quite different. I mean, there's always ones that are nominated that don't make it, but obviously Hamilton was the most recent one, mm-hmm. but a couple that I really think are interesting and, and how they haven't really crossed over. They have maybe um, is next to normal mm-hmm. one. Um, and uh, all the way back. And of course, how to succeed yeah. it was it was yep. done for a musical comedy but it's biting it has yeah. its you know its thing but i love the looking at that list cuz i i say to anyone if you want a really a big cross section of yeah. what musical theater is just take a look at that list those nine shows the commonality between all that i think there's eight or nine now yeah, nine. was it nine with hamilton yeah. hamilton so there's nine now and uh i i think the the thread through them all is that they all have really strong social commentary Right. In, in every single one of them. And I think that's what one of the things the Pulitzer is looking for. Like, are you really, you know, is there something that really speaks about our time and place and the yeah. issues that we're facing and all of, all of the musicals, you know, going all the way back to, of the, I, I sing, sing. <laughs> you know, which I think is sadly relevant. Someone needs to do a oh concert gosh. of that, you know, the kind of president as celebrity reality show celebrity. I mean, like, it cra- is it's, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but next to normal again, like yeah. uh, there's a uh, Tom Kitt, like really, lo- really mm-hmm. loving Tom Kitt um, stuff. High fidelity. He wrote a, a yeah. you know, which is uh, like talk about using pastiche to like great effect. This, totally. Those songs really do sound um, like the songs they, that inspired them. And it's, and how could they not when you're dealing with, you know, characters who, all work in a record store and love rock and pop. Oh. He's, you know, um, so I love that score. He does a he does an amazing job. But but again, nothing that could be a hit on the radio. Right next to normal, uh, lots of pop indie rock, uh, country influences in that in that score. Nothing you could pull out. At, you know, mm-hmm. M- maybe if some country singer covered uh i miss the mountains it could maybe maybe that sure. could be a, a a pop song but uh hard hard to pull anything out of there 
And, um, uh, you know, and then again, his, his if then score, right. Uh, super accomplished, but that one, we, you know, we saw, we saw the, uh, a national tour of that and, uh, really, really impressive show. But that one really got me thinking like, wow, what do, how do we transport people into like now? <laughs> and what, you know, right. when we're writing musicals that take place today, like here and now, what did, what did those actually sound like yeah. in a musical theater world? Because most of what I hear of when people are writing shows that are set in a contemporary time, they just, they, they sound like musical theater. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, and I find that less satisfying somehow. Like mm. it just, it just feels like, you know, we're a lot of craft, a lot of like clever tonality shifts and rhythms and, you know, all the things that, that, uh, you know, I'm sure the, you know, since the inception of the BMI writers workshop, writers have studied and learned to, to do, uh, you know, to express character and stuff. I think for musical theater geeks and young musical theater geeks, thrilling, thrilling. They love those scores and they want to hear them, but they're not going to, they're not going to filter out to the Joe public because they, they'll, they'll listen to them and go like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. I don't recognize that. Yeah. It, it, it sounds kind of like what I hear on the radio, but it's not what I hear on the radio. Mountains make you crazy. Here it's safe and sound. My mind is somewhere hazy. Are on the ground. Everything is balanced here and on an even keel. Everything is perfect. Nothing's real. Nothing's real. There's a little bit of a, a, a movement of um, singer-songwriter type, you know, because in pop music, we've gone back to, like, a guitar mm -hmm. and people, like, kind of doing this it's thing. Sarah Bareilles and Waitress. Yeah, piano. And those are yeah. great. And I think that might translate slightly into musical, like, what I've had to think about it. You know, Sarah Bareilles, obviously, with Waitress, mm -hmm. someone identified that and was yeah. like, hey, you should probably <laughs> do yeah. a show. Or you Once know, is kind once, of an interesting example yeah. where... Like again, but again, the, the evolution of that was very unique. You know, yeah. it was an indie, indie movie yeah. about indie songwriters. <laughs> totally. Right. And so the songs, the, the songs were songs, you know, it kind of goes right. back to, uh, you know, uh, again, like the, the, th 30s in Hollywood where, you know, they thought musicals on film would be this huge thing, but they actually were like notoriously terrible and, and you know, movie houses wouldn't advertise that they were musicals because they knew people wouldn't come. The only way that they could get them to work if they were movies about being in a musical, like a singing in the rain or a 42nd street, right? Yeah, right. Uh, where, where summer stuff. the action <laughs> is, that we're following characters who are in a musical, right? So we expect this, you know, we, we know the songs are, you know, it's more of a real, realistic form yeah. where in on stage, 
the songs are a bigger expression, you know, of what's going on inside our heads or, uh, you know, um, uh, the journey of the character and all that kind of stuff. But, but it doesn't, it didn't, didn't work on film. Yeah. And it, so once, once has that, um, bonus had that bonus of like, it was kind of a musical, but it kind of wasn't like it was a, yeah. it was a film that involved music. <laughs> <laughs> so it worked. And someone had the idea of like, well, let's try and put it on stage. But I think what they did was they found a really awesome theatrical way of telling that story. I never got a chance to see it, but the clips I've seen mm -hmm. of like the movement with everybody Amazing. with their instruments and, you know, th that, that was for me, that's such a smart choice because you're not trying to just recreate the film. No. You're trying to take, take it and give it a, its unique expression in theatrical form. Um, but, uh, but still that, you know, but that wasn't, a sh you know, then there are pop songs from that hit songs from that, but they were never, it wasn't originally done for the stage. That's right. Yeah. Well, obviously composers, well, maybe not, obviously, I, I think a lot of the composers or contemporary composers on musical theater, they don't try and make a hit. They're still just trying to be within yeah. it. You know, nobody sets out to put that sheet music out and no. make their, their money off that anymore. No, no. Cause it's a, it's a different, there's more, I, I think there's more integrity to the art form, to the craft of it. It was a big concern back in the day. Um, you know, going back to like of the, I sing that silly Gershwin, uh, operetta <laughs> right. on, on American politics, but, uh, the title song of the, I sing, um, uh, there was controversy about that because there was that they used, you know, so the, I sing baby. And that was a real slangy kind of term at the time. And right. it's like, seems ridiculous now, but <laughs> all the whole bunch of the producers were like, you can't do that. People are, you know, people are going to revolt. It's going to be like, we can't have this, like, you know, this president <laughs> using such slang on stage. So good. And, uh, but the Gershwins held fast and they said, you know, it's going to be in there and it's going to be, you know, in it because it's going to be a hit. It's going to be the, the, the main song because it's an operetta. Like again, like very few songs in that score you could pull out as a standalone song. That's one of the only things in that entire score that you could pull out and it could be a standard. Um, and so they were adamant about keeping, keeping it in. And of course that's the song that everybody was humming when they came out of the theater. And that's the song that everybody brought the sheet music to. So great. <laughs> but that shows the revolu um, the evolution of theater. Uh, one of the things I think is interesting, talking about Rogers, I mean, like, I wanted to do a paper about this, but um, <laughs> how amazingly different the music was when Rogers wrote with Hart. Oh, crazy. When he wrote with Hammerstein. Yeah. And how many hits that he had with Hart that yeah. turned into jazz standards yeah. of the time period. My Funny Valentine, all yeah, those yeah. amazing songs. But... You know, you would never think if you just knew Rogers with from Oklahoma onwards with Hammerstein, you think what a square. <laughs> like in a lot of ways, it's really straight material. It's really out there. But then when he was with Hart, who was like you know this manic, yeah. um, closeted homosexual yeah. that wrote in ten minutes yeah. lyrics. You know how how different yeah. that music was. What he brought out of him. But again, I like that. That is the that is the it's the perfect um, kind of. Uh, what are we looking at uh, analogy of, of the evolution of musical theater? Because, you know, you know, with heart, Rogers always wrote the song. He just sat down and wrote a jazzy tune and right. passed it over to, to heart and said, set some lyrics to this. And mm -hmm. then heart would, heart would do that. Um, so, so again, the music, the music was first, right? It wasn't yeah. about the drama. It wasn't about the character. It wasn't about, it was just about the music and mm -hmm. everything 
you know, and, and so this, the songs all sat in the pop form because that's a, what they knew to write. And the, then when they, when him and Hammerstein came together and they both ha had this same idea at the same time of like, we, I, we really want, I really want to write a show where everything is about telling a story. Like everything can, can contributes to that. And they decided, so I, that they wanted Hammerstein to write the lyrics first and then, uh, uh, Rogers would set it and, and Hammerstein with all of experience and, and knowledge wrote these great lyrics that had movement and shape and form and structure. And so Rogers just followed that and they became these dramatic compositions rather yeah. than pop compositions. That's right. I love that. And can you imagine, because of course, Hart was originally on board to write for Oklahoma. Um, <laughs> could you imagine that show <laughs> or yeah. what it would have been if Hart had written he I don't know that it would have been I don't even, not successful. Well, it, would, it wouldn't have been Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. But what an interesting um, uh, parallel, uh, yeah. paradox. Totally. Heard. Well, because the other thing, uh, I think it was in um, in getting to know him, it's the biography of, of Oscar Hammerstein. Mm -hmm. I can't remember who said this, but it's one of my favorite quotes, is that prior to Oklahoma, you heard the voice of the lyricist, and after Oklahoma, you heard the voice of the characters. Ooh, that's great. I love I it. No idea. Yeah. That's great. Um, but... I think that's such, that's so astute, right? And that's the difference. That is the difference between Hart and Hammerstein. Like Hammerstein really wrote in the, like, as you know, with, as you can argue about how authentic it was, but he sure. was, intention was to find the colloquial voice of the characters that he was writing to, writing for, uh, where Hart was just being witty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, he's just yeah. saying it the way that he said, said it. Came from him. Yeah. 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 And that was that, again, that was the kind of ethos of the time. That was Cole Porter and, uh, you know, Irving Berlin and, uh, you know, Ira Gershwin, they were, they were, you know, there was almost like pride among them as to like, who could write a really clever, well-rounded, witty lyric, you know, it was about them, not about the characters. You don't know I knocked on wood, gladly broken hearted, worrying us through, I sleep all night, appetite and health restored, you don't know how much I'm nights, the daily fights, the quick toboggan when you reach the heights. I miss the kisses and I miss the bites. I wish I were in love again. The broken dates, the endless waits, the lovely loving and the hateful hates, the conversation with the flying plates. I wish I were in love again. No more pain. Tell me a little bit about um, Little Night Music. Coming up. So yeah. when, when, when are you opening and tell me a bit about the show? Yeah. Uh, so uh, the show's going to run May uh, 11th to the 21st uh, at the Anvil Center Theater, which is a fantastic new space in New Westminster. We got a great cast, Warren Kimmel and Katie Ryder, the, the two stars, Patty Allen's in it. So uh, it's good. We're, we're, we've also made the artistic choice to um, do this production without uh, amplification. Oh, so really? it's going to be acoustic. It's a very intimate musical. Right. Yeah. And so I wanted to, to do whatever we could to make the experience feel as intimate as possible. So we're going to have a lovely little light chamber, uh, orchestra behind us. We're going to have a, uh, piano, harp, cello, violin, a reed player. Um, 
and accompany this this fantastic cast cast we've got. So it's you know it's sophisticated. It's grown up. Um, so it's got this like bubbly, lovely surface of comedy and wit. And it's, you know, there's, yeah, I think people forget that it's a musical comedy, right? We, um, we see images of it and we think it's a kind of, again, like a darker Sondheim piece, Mm -hmm. but it's very, very, very funny, but yet it's got, yeah, uh, 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 this sharpness to it and these, you know, cutting moments. I think, I think it was Hal Prince who called it whipped cream and knives, um, to describe little night music. It might've been Sondheim. I think it was Alpern's. Um but what a great, you know, oh, a, a, a great, great kind of juxtaposition of things and that. And so, uh, yeah. it's been, it's been really fun digging in, digging into it. So, so, uh, so far mm-hmm. we start rehearsals in April, so I can't wait to get the cast together. Amazing. Uh, thank you so much for doing this today. That was great fun. Yeah. Good. Just a weekend in the country, smelling jasmine. Watching little things grow. A weekend in the country. Go! My darling will simply say no. Oh! That was my conversation with Peter Jorgensen, whose company, Patrick Street Productions, is presenting Sondheim's A Little Night Music at the Anvil Center in New Westminster this May 11th to the 21st. For tickets and more information about the company, please visit patrickstreetproductions.com. And then join us at fromthepitpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash fromthepitpodcast. And join the conversation. We'll accept it. I had a feeling you would. A weekend in the country. Yes, it's only polite that we should. Good.